This is VOCM News Talk. Call 709-273-5211 or 1-888-590-8626. The views and opinions of this program are not necessarily those of this station. Here's VOCM News Talk host Linda Swain. And good Friday afternoon, everyone. Not Linda, Brian Callahan in with you for the uh, last one before the home stretch. TGIF. For those of you whose work week actually does end today, used to be many of us, but not so much anymore. Uh, I don't know, Claudette, it's almost politically incorrect, is it, to say happy Friday or have a nice weekend anymore? Not at all. (laughs) I love saying it. Uh, Me too, but I always stop and think, you know, weekend means it uh, suggests it's ending, but for a lot of people it's just a continuation you know whether that's working extra hours or a second or that is true second gig or some cases a third gig uh, to make ends meet we all know people doing that um so on that cherry and optimistic <laughs> note <laughs> let's make a news today let's stick with the good news this being news talk and all um that's <laughs> much really good news is it you may or not may may or may not be aware that there was a uh, bomb threat this morning at st john's international airport um, shut down operations just before 8 o'clock, uh, we're told. Um, the call came in at RNC headquarters. That's where the call was received. And uh, one thing we never seem to get, you know, from uh, bomb threats or, uh, or these kinds of situations as news media with these cases, it's like the actual wording or specifics of the threat, you know, during or after. I mean, I can appreciate during, but, uh, you know, once the investigation's still ongoing. But once it's all said and done, You know, I mean, uh, it's just a journalist, I suppose, but it it might give insight into what the people were thinking, you know. I mean, was it a specific place that, you know, or, you know, was it very specific as to where there would be an explosion or was it, was there a time it was detonated to go off or any of those kind of details, you know, we thirst for that kind of stuff in media because we always want to get as many details as we can uh, that's uh, legitimate and factual and vetted before it's put out there. But anyway, it's a bit of a pet peeve on my end i understand now we did ask um rnc constable james cadigan who's always great spokesperson for the rnc um about that today i actually spoke with him about just a few minutes after uh the rnc gave the all clear this morning uh before eight o'clock information was received uh to the rnc dispatch uh that there was a bomb threat uh, at St. John's International Airport. Uh, so that information was shared immediately with airport authority, and uh, both uh, agencies quickly launched uh, a public safety approach to that information. So uh, the RNC's uh, you know, uh, role here was to investigate the validity of that uh, report and to determine if there was any public safety concern on site there at uh, St. John's International Airport. Uh, So uh, RNC resources responded immediately and, uh, you know, there was closures to roadway there uh, into the terminal area. And uh, also there was foot traffic removed from the terminal area of the the airport. So the investigation uh, progressed into the validity, including the use of police dog service from the RNC and investigative resources were on site there to uh, gather any information to uh, support our investigation. So at this stage, uh, you know, we have determined that uh, there's no public safety risk on site there. And, uh, you know, we we really want to thank the community for your cooperation as we progress that investigation. 
we are going to be remaining in the area, continuing to investigate the uh, delivery of that of that initial threat, and to determine the source of that information, so we can uh, determine, you know, essentially if if we can identify the source. James, uh, the airport's a very large, large space. Uh, how can you just, you know, we never get a lot of detail about the, you know, the nature of the threat. I'm just wondering in this case, was it, how specific was it to the airport? Was it, it just the terminal in general? Is that what the, the target? Uh, yeah, so I, I don't have that information right now. Uh, the investigative team continues to, uh, you know, gather information related to that initial uh, threat and, uh Part of that process is to, uh, you know, uh, essentially hold back any specifics so that if we do uh, have some points go in the right direction, we can speak to a potential suspect. Then, uh, you know, we don't have any information out in the public sphere that uh, anybody could know. Okay, understood. Can you at least let us know how how this threat was received? Was it a, an email, a telephone call? Uh... Yeah, so the, the threat was received by phone call to the RNC. Okay, they call the RNC, not the airport. That's correct. Okay. Uh, I appreciate this. Yeah, I understand you're still in the middle of the investigation, but as far as you know, I think people just think it's such a large space that, and I know we have the dogs and, and good techniques and that sort of thing, but, you know, it always amazes people, I think, how quickly we can clear these things and know that it's not uh, legit, but at this point, we're just saying there's no public safety uh, concerns, correct? That's correct, yep. And that is RNC Constable James Cadigan. Uh, just give me a bit of a lowdown on the bomb threat that was uh, disrupted operations at the airport this morning for several hours. I came in around 8 a.m. and by 11.30 the airport St. John's International had uh, resumed flights. I think um, I saw on the board there was one flight in particular, a PAL flight maybe, delayed by a few hours, but other than that it didn't seem to upset the apple cart too much as far as incoming and outgoing. Uh, but I mean, that's just from uh, the outside looking in. I'm sure there were machinations inside the airport authority that when this happens, it just throws everything off. And I can just imagine, I mean, let alone having to evacuate, but uh, you just have to wonder what spurs someone to do something like that. Um, you know, the amount of resources that are expended, you know, or diverted to something like this when police and emergency response could be elsewhere. We're all hearing the red alerts so often that uh, mean there are no ambulances with the health care uh, with NL Health Services available. And uh, that would have been the case probably. Who knows? But, um, yeah, we don't need unnecessary tie up of emergency services where. We're stretched thin as it is. Um, all right. So um, coming up after the break, uh, the other kind of um, interesting eyebrow-raising story, you might say, is the uh, the new um, new ambulatory care hub going in the old Costco building down in the east end of St. John's. Uh, earlier this morning, the health minister, Tom Osborne, and uh, Greg Brown, Dr. Greg Brown, senior medical director with Eastern Urban Zone with NL Health Services, got together to just take the media through a little bit of background and answer some questions about the decision to uh, move a new ambulatory care hub there to ease the pressure elsewhere. We'll get into that right after the break. I'm Brian Callahan, filling in for Linda Swain this afternoon on the Friday edition of News Talk. We'll be right back. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. Back with you on News Talks, Brian Callahan and Linda Swain. So, of course, uh, this morning, well, actually yesterday, uh, it was kind of interesting news to hear that 
uh, somebody had found a new use for the old Costco. Of course, uh, Costco and in this province, the only one has moved to the Galway um, sub, well, subdivision, but uh, neighborhood, subdivision, development, call it what you want, in um, more of the west end of St. John's, heading out the highway, and that left the old Costco building vacant since about 2019. Well, um, a, um, a non-profit social enterprise is what they're calling it. It's uh, now been contracted, as you probably have heard and may be aware, um, about $4 million annually uh, to Newfoundland and Labrador Health Alliance, which is the not-for-profit social enterprise. They've got a 20-year lease now um, to operate this building with all the health NL Health Services staff and equipment inside. And this is, uh, you know, designed to really take the pressure off acute care facilities and uh, try to improve access for patients um, as opposed to blocking up the hospitals. Uh, so it's going in the old Costco building down on uh, Stavanger Drive. And um, earlier today, Richard Duggan, our VOCM's Richard Duggan, uh, dropped by for a briefing from the health minister, Tom Osborne, and Dr. Greg Brown with NL Health Services. And a uh, bunch of reporters, including Richard and other reporters, got a chance to throw some questions their way. So what, this is going to free up some space at the hospital. What's that space going to be used for? So at the moment, we're not 100%. Uh, certainly at the Health Sciences site, the new emergency department is going to expand into a lot of that space, okay? And there are um, there there are some other services that are earmarked to expand into the vacated space that will remain at the Health Sciences Centre. Um, and St. Clair's is still a moving target right now. But this will give us uh, a lot of, it won't give us a lot, it'll give us a little bit of redundancy that we do not have right now. At the moment, we are chocked to the gunnels, uh, and we really have no room for anything else. Uh, this will give us some flexibility that we do not have now. And if anything, um, the last few years has proven that we need flexibility, and we need to be able to pivot. Does this have any ramifications for the, um, I guess, the scale of the St. Clair's replacement? Uh, no. In terms, of, in terms of just, yeah, the general scale or scope of it? Uh, no, there's still going to be a very large outpa outpatient uh, footprint uh, in the new St. Clair's development. Um, that is still a work in progress, um, but, um, uh, you know, the majority of, um, uh, of the services... Um, uh, uh, you know that uh, there, there will be some there'll be some um, uh, rearrangement of services when the new St. Clair's opens but that will have a large outpatient footprint as well. Yeah and, and I can add to that as well the the concept of the replacement for St. Clair's which you know I'll ask Dr. Brown to speak to that as well because you know it's constant constantly being flooded uh, pipes breaking there are electrical issues there are multiple issues where surgeries or procedures are cancelled at St. Clair's because of infrastructure problems. That hospital needs to be replaced. But the concept of an outpatient hub has been in the works for many months. Uh, in parallel with the design of the new St. Clair's replacement, um, you know, so part of the St. Clair's replacement, we already announced the um, you know, the centers of excellence in uh, aging uh, will be part of the new St. Clair's. Uh, we have provincial health authority folks. Uh, we have, uh, you know, our, our health professionals. We have advisors. Uh, the infrastructure committee are still designing what is needed in the new St. Clair's building. Uh, so 
as we make announcements such as the Center of Excellence uh, for Aging or the, the outpatient hub, uh, these are all part and parcel of the consideration of what the new building looks like, the new hospital. The health sciences, for example, is a, a, a relatively central location for everybody to get to. This new location is out in, in the east end. What would you say to the criticism that some of these services won't be as accessible now because they're out in, you know, out in the east end? So we can probably both add to that. You know, this was, first of all, it was an RFP process. So, you know, it goes through a very stringent evaluation, um, you know, based on a number of factors, location being one of them. Um, you know, but there are a number of factors that individuals will uh, evaluate when they are looking at uh, awarding an RFP. But this went through an RFP process. So we can't say we'd like it in the center of St. John's because somebody's going to say, well, you, you fiddled with the RFP process. Um, that's part of it. But the reality from St. Clair's or the health science or some of the out, other outpatient services that are available uh, in the city, uh, you know, you're, you're five minutes away from some, ten minutes away from others. Um, you know, yes, it's in the east end of St. John's, but, you know, you're, you're less than ten minutes drive from there to... Uh, the health sciences complex, for example. I want to ask. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. And just to follow up on that, uh, when, when the proposals were considered, a uh, part of that consideration uh, were things like walkability, existing bus routes. Um, uh, the potential for expanded uh, bus routes, highway access, um, and all of these things were considered and, and were scored as part of the proposals. Yeah. There are people that come, you know, this is not just a service for uh, residents of St. John's or Mount Pearl or Torbay, for example. There are people that come from all over the province. Uh, and, uh, you know, that is a key and important factor is that accessibility. If you're coming in from outside the metro region, um, you know, you're just off the highway and at this facility. So it is accessible, probably more accessible than if you were located in a downtown area, for example, for individuals coming in from out of, uh, out of uh, uh, outside the metro region. I want to ask, why the decision to um, do a long-term lease for a space why not go and just buy up the old Costco site yourself for a couple million dollars and operate it that way? Well, again, I'll ask Dr. Brown to speak to some of this. He was part of the evaluation um, of this uh, and, you know, uh, part of, of the design of what was needed. So he has that expertise. But uh, in terms of, of uh, you know, this building comes, uh, snow clearing, heat and light, uh, the building itself, um, you know, is all included. The equipment and the uh, staff will be Provincial Health Authority. Uh, so it's publicly operated. But like other facilities, if you know, you look at the walk-in clinic uh, on Monday Pond Road, that is in a space that is leased. Uh, oftentimes, leasing a space gets us in next spring uh, versus waiting five or six years to build a space. We need this space now. Uh, as Dr. Brown said, you know, uh, outpatient services, ambulatory uh, care is bursting at the seams. So we need this space today, not five years down the road. Uh, putting a tender out that uh, calls for a more expeditious uh, opening and operating of the space where, you know, we don't have the focus on snow clearing or fixing windows or a leaky roof. The space is provided. All of those things are the responsibility of the proponent operating 
inside of that space by public uh, health professionals uh, and the equipment, provincial health authority equipment uh, is, is our focus. Uh, Greg? Yeah, um, you know, in terms of, of the financial sort of stuff, I, I think you'd have to talk to the accountants uh, to get to get a, a story uh, uh, of the merits of, of leasing versus owning. It is an increasing uh, trend in healthcare facilities um, in the province or, world, uh, you know, in the country and around the world. Um, and if you think about it. Um, Healthcare facilities are highly specialized buildings, and they have lifespans, okay? Uh, when St. Clair's was designed, for example, there was no such thing as the Internet. There was no such thing as CT scanners. There was no such thing as laparoscopic or keyhole surgery. And yet we've had to make that old building um, adjust to, um, uh, to fulfill these modern needs. Uh, and I think in the future you will see healthcare facilities that are owned by third parties uh, and it will be the third parties that uh, modify the buildings to meet uh, new needs that will give healthcare in general more flexibility um, and it's a trend that we're seeing everywhere. Um, can you speak to how the deal works uh, in terms of the arrangement of the bid going to a non-profit company but a separate number company owning the building? I honestly don't know how to answer that. I mean, you know, this went through a public procurement process. Um, you know, um, who owns the, I think it's called Newfoundland Health Alliance is the name of the, the operation. So, I mean, who owns that or who owns the building or whether it's profit or non-profit, I'm not sure. You know, our focus was getting into a space provided by a proponent where we could get in quickly. Uh, they are responsible for the upkeep, the snow clearing, the maintenance of that space. Uh, as Dr. Brown said, I mean, we, we look at, you know, buildings that government own, and healthcare is quickly evolving and modernizing, and, you know, we are getting into artificial intelligence, and what role is that going to play 10 years down the road? We, we probably can't even envision what that looks like 10 years down the road. This building, you know, 20 years from now, if the building is no longer suitable, we get a suitable building if it can be modified. But those are things that the health authority doesn't have to worry about because we are, you know, we're focusing on what we should be focusing on, and that is the delivery of health care. How many staff are going to be in this hub, um, and where are they coming from? Yeah, so uh, the precise number of staff, I think, has yet to be determined, okay? But the majority of the staff are going to come uh, from our existing facilities. So when we have eliminated or significantly cut back uh, on outpatient clinics in our other facilities, that staff will move to the new facility. Uh, there will probably st still need to be some additional staff, and we're actively uh, recruiting all levels of staff, medical nursing, um, uh, allied health, uh, everywhere. Um, if you want to talk about the last question, uh, certainly when we, when we uh, considered um, the bids, um, there was a committee, uh, and uh, we, we considered and scored the bids uh, based on the RFP. So we, there was a very, very detailed RFP uh, that went out, and that's what we considered. And that is Dr. Greg Brown. He's the Senior Medical Director, Eastern Urban Zone for NL Health Services. And, of course, uh, at his side today, Tom Osborne, the Minister of Health, um, talking about the new ambulatory care hub 
to uh, go inside the old Costco building down in the east end of St. John's. And my thanks to Richard Duggan there for uh, bringing that Q&A to us for the show. We'll hear certainly much more on this on Monday morning on the morning sh- on your VOCM mornings. A um, couple of uh, issues, a uh, couple of issues, a couple of breaking stories here just um, that we're hearing. First of all, in the center of the city, we believe um, we've just been hearing on the scanner. So a bit of breaking news. There are believed to be a house fire in the area of Campbell Avenue. We believe it's the Campbell Avenue area. If you're down there or around there, 709-273-5211. You can give us a shout and tell us if you see anything. We're told there's a three-story home on fire in the area. We believe it's Campbell Avenue. So if um, we have a reporter on the way and uh, hoping to get an update very soon on that, as well as questions into the RNC just to confirm the location. But if you're in that area and you see anything, by all means, give us a shout. Let us know what you're looking at. As well, um, completely unrelated, but in uh, breaking news realm, uh, just got a news release that uh, Ryan Cleary is stepping down as the head of uh, CNL, stepping down as the executive director. He says in a news release, um, it's, quote, to um, uh, focus more of his attention on uh, the formation of a new fisheries cooperative. Of course, that was they had announced and talked about that before Christmas and after Christmas about um, working on a new fisheries cooperative, including um, with a processor in Ship Cove in Placentia Bay. So more on that as we get it. But uh, Ryan Cleary announcing as of yesterday, he has stepped down as executive director of CNL and um, to focus more on this new fisheries cooperative. They're hoping that can be an alternative to try to bypass all those issues that we had, for example, last year with the snow crab and the price. And uh, this is to try to shore up the price and uh, have a more guaranteed income for the following year. And so, yeah, so let's go off to Noah Shepard there now, see if he has any more um, details on, at least at the very least, as we get it, uh, whatever detail we get on this potential um, house fire in the center of St. John's. We believe it's Campbell Avenue. Once again, we're tracking it as quickly as we can. We have uh, messages into the fire department and the police, and we'll get you that information as soon as possible. First, it's off to the news with Noah Shepard. Every Saturday is perfect for a night at the cabin. The Cabin Party with Brian O'Connell. Saturday night starting at 7 p.m. on VOCM. Welcome back to the program. Uh, it's Brian Callahan in for Linda Swain this afternoon and a little clarification and update. So scanners can be um, uh, hard to understand sometime, and it is not Campbell Avenue. I'm told we now have a call telling us it's Calver Avenue in the Rabbit Town area of St. John's. So if you're in that area, and again, we have someone en route, um, but we have been told that there was smoke and fire showing. So if you're in the Calver um, Avenue area, and if you're not, don't head there. But if you are, steer clear, beware, and uh, try to give uh, whatever emergency services that may be on site, give them as much room as possible. And uh, we'll get you as much information on that as quick as we can, as soon as it comes into us. In the meantime, um, it's no secret, of course, that uh, weather patterns are changing and disrupting other patterns, such as transportation schedules, uh, operations with transportation, such as, oh, I don't know, Marine Atlantic. And I mean, even if you don't really use the service on a regular basis outside of maybe uh, doing a staycation or something in the summer months, um, you will know that the winds in Rec House are famous on any day, but lately it's just been so constant that it's uh, really playing havoc with the schedules over at Marine Atlantic, more so than usual. So much so that, um, you know, officials over that way are just openly calling it for what it is, climate change and ongoing patterns that they're going to be forced to to deal with and find new ways around, new technology, uh, which is what they're doing. I got a little update when I spoke to Communications Director for Marine Atlantic, Daryl Mercer, just a little bit earlier this afternoon. 
So obviously, uh, winter season always presents challenges for our service operating in the North Atlantic, but uh, there's certainly some truth to the volume of storms that we've been seeing that have been coming up the eastern seaboard since uh, just before Christmas. So anytime you have a disruption that uh, that takes uh, two, three, four sailings out of the schedule, it has a significant impact. And if you speak to any of our customers, uh, commercial um, customers who are bringing product across, uh, passengers who are trying to get to a destination, it's an inconvenience and any disruption is, is not uh, positive. Um, so what we've seen um, mid-December and every week since pretty well has been a storm system that's been moving up with high winds, heavy seas. And that's, of course, caused some disruption to uh, to our service. So uh, we had another disruption this week. Uh, there's a potential impact uh, for Saturday night. Uh, so it's again, we're just we're we're balancing what Mother Nature is throwing at us. The only positive piece is that with our vessels that we have in service, we can usually recover fairly quickly um, with moving the traffic. But again, and we recognize the inconvenience, especially to uh, to people who are trying to get to a destination, either with commercial product or if they have vacation plans. Daryl, you're not beating around the bush here though like you're you know you're directly in well directly or in to some extent at least uh, attributing this directly to climate change no bones about it yeah, and it's absolutely a change that we've seen over the past several years. We see these big storm systems move through. Um, I mean, we look at the road washups that took place on the southwest coast mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. I mean, that was a storm system that dropped so much rain, and we thought, that well, that's a once-in-a-hundred-year type storm. Well, we had another one just before Christmas, again, 150 to 200 millimeters of rain. Now, we're lucky that time that the road infrastructure and everything held out well, but there was a significant disruption during that period just before Christmas. Uh, we lost uh, most of the crossings in one single week. So, you know, anybody that's trying to ship product during a period like that, uh, you know, they're getting food to the grocery stores. Christmas gifts were being delayed. And then, of course, we had all those passengers that were trying to get home for uh, for holidays. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we try to recover as quickly as we can, but these storms seem to be more persistent. Uh, you can almost tell every week when you look at the, the, the future radar and, and storm systems that they follow a path up the eastern seaboard and eventually come into the Cabot Strait where we operate. Now, you said they seem to be. Do you track it yourself? To what extent do you track it yourself? Do you have, like, um, I won't say in-house meteorologists, or but do you keep historical data so that you can say with, uh, you know, number-wise, or at least statistically, uh, that this is worse than last year, like this... Uh, I like how you track days that you've lost or sailings that you've lost, that sort of thing. Yeah, and again, it varies year to year. So if you look at uh, at the data, um, and we work with Environment Canada fairly closely, and you know we we see these systems that are stronger, higher winds, more precipitation. And when you speak to people who live in Port of Basque, for example, or the captains who've been on our ships for years, they're saying that these storm systems are more frequent, they're more powerful, and because of that, there's a higher level of disruption. So we're trying our best to adjust to to what the climate is doing for us. Um, you know, climate change, I think everybody would accept that there's a changing climate uh, that, that we're in right now. It's not just Newfoundland and Labrador, it's globally. And, you know, we if you had said, you know, 20, 30 years ago that there's a hurricane coming up towards Newfoundland, well, well that's not going to be a hurricane by the time it reaches us. But now, every time we hear a hurricane, we, we're like, oh, my God, we have to prepare because this is a fairly significant system that will do damage. So, you know, it, it's, it's trying to adapt and, uh, you know, it's it's technology that we're using to try to 
make some inroads as to how we can proceed into the future. But obviously, when you're dealing with Mother Nature, it can be unpredictable, and we have to take every safety precaution possible. Yep, passengers and crew first. Um, so given all that, uh, you know, it'd be nice to have backup and alternative. What's Marine Atlantic's official position on the uh, fixed link these days? Oh, we, we certainly don't really have a, uh, any position on the uh, fixed link. We're focused on providing the service that we're mandated to provide. Um, we're, we obviously report into Transport Canada, Crown Corporation. Mm. And uh, our mandate quite clearly states that we, uh, we will connect to the provinces of Newfoundland, Labrador, and Nova Scotia through a daily ferry service uh, between North Sydney and Port of Basque. So when you look at the mandate that we have, um, you know, it's a very important one that we've served since 1898. Now, if there's a different direction that uh, takes place sometime into the future, uh, that's a decision that's outside of Marine Atlantic's control. That's the government of Canada in consultation with other partners. So from our perspective, we're focused on what we're asked to do, and we try to do it as effectively and efficiently as possible. Yeah, you hate, I mean, it just seems a parallel argument, you know, like concern for, the, you know, for increasing storms and, and delays and uh, interruptions. It'd be nice to have an alternative. So it'd be interesting. Uh, you know, I don't know if there's an in-house kind of opinion on it. Uh, it must be kind of the elephant in the room sometime, is it not? Well, when you look at climate change, and that's that's the piece. I mean, when you look at climate change yeah. in general, it's not just in the Cabot Strait. I mean, you'll get that on the northern peninsula of Newfoundland. You'll get that into Quebec. So you, you, you'll see these storm systems everywhere. Now, there's all kinds of different ways that you can you can connect the island of Newfoundland with the rest of Canada. Uh, and I'll leave the decision as to the best option to <laughs> to others who, uh, who, who may be experts in their field or may have uh, other uh, interests at hand. But uh, again, Strictly from a Marine Atlantic perspective, we're focused on uh, providing the ferry service right now that's uh, a constitutionally mandated service uh, in, in terms of union with Canada. Yeah, and the new vessel that's coming, um, I'll let you pronounce it again because I don't say it often enough. It's the Alasunu. Right, and that uh, kind of has some new age or new tech to be able to deal with some of these issues, does it not? Well, it's obviously it's not going to be a panacea that's going to fix climate change. No, sure. that's, that's that's not something that that the vessel will do. But it has new technologies that will help it uh, uh, trans uh, or, or travel between Port of Basque and North Sydney. Um, just even when you look at stabilizer stabilizers, propulsion systems, the propellers that are on it, it's new technologies up to date that help the vessel move through water more effectively and efficiently. And that's not just from uh, traveling in weather systems. That's also when you look at uh, the marine environment. Uh, the ship is going to be silent class, for example, mm -hmm. which is very beneficial for the marine uh, marine life that live in the uh, Cabot Strait. So, you know, there's all kinds of technology, and I think technology is going to be very important moving forward. Uh, and again, not just for Marine Atlantic, because we're not alone in this, but uh, for marine operators throughout the world. Technology is something that uh, will be incorporated into today's vessels and future vessels based upon what we're experiencing from a weather perspective around the world. Yep. Well, there's uh, so many issues and topics we could discuss, but uh, so little time. Uh, on this one, anyway, I appreciate it. Um, what's the short term? So uh, I know we have some weather while I have you. Uh, what can passengers, commercial or otherwise, expect this weekend now with the weather that's out there? 
So right now we've got a potential impact for Saturday night's crossing. There is a storm system that's going to be moving up through. At this stage, it's too early to say what the impact will be. That decision will be made, uh, I would say, in the next 12 hours or so. Um, and again, I'd encourage any customers that have uh, reservations to check our website and stay in contact with our reservations team. Um, we'll have updates posted as soon as they're available. And that is uh, Daryl Mercer uh, Communications, long-time accessible, uh, great communications director with Marine Atlantic uh, on the latest uh, trials and tribulations of trying to run a um, ferry service between uh, Newfoundland and Nova Scotia, which we know uh, is um, pull your hair out uh, at the best of times. <laughs> I can only imagine. No, it's not all that bad. We took the ferry this summer. It was a wonderful time. It was rough crossing, but that's not their fault. In any event, um, on that, uh, in that vein, um, and uh, with talk of uh, weather coming this weekend, I uh, thought it might be a nice segue to just check in with the weather office in Gander, environmental um, uh, with Environment Canada, Environment and Climate Change Canada. Meteorologist Ian Hubbard was uh, gracious with his time this afternoon, and we had a quick chat about what's coming, uh, what's in store this weekend. You know, it's another weekend in the winter, uh, but um, it might be a little bit something overly uh, that we should keep an eye on. Yeah, we do have another low-pressure system that's going to be uh, bringing some weather to uh, Newfoundland and Labrador, uh, mostly Saturday night and, and on Sunday. Saturday looks like a pretty fair day, mostly cloudy skies, but then we do see some precipitation moving in uh, probably overnight Saturday into Sunday. Uh, what we're expecting right now is some uh, periods of freezing rain, maybe even a little bit of ice pellets mixed in there for a few hours early on Sunday morning. And that's going to spread across uh, western and central parts of the province. Um, eastern areas and southern areas are going to see some showers out of this. And then uh, maybe a little bit of snow over the west coast towards the end of the day on Sunday. So a white, uh, more white on the west and uh, more sort of rain event on the east? That's right, with a little bit of ice in between there yeah. that's going to uh, possibly cause some slippery conditions. All right, so add insult to injury. Well, it sounds like, uh, is there much accumulation for the West Coast again? Do, you know, what, what do you see? I um, uh, just finished an interview there yesterday with Marable, and they're, they're praying. I'm uh, not seeing a lot of accumulation uh, in terms of snow. It's going to be short-lived, but uh, it will be uh, cool for uh, most of this event, so any precipitation that falls is expected to be snow or, or maybe some ice pellets for a little bit there. Uh, before it ends in the overnight period Sunday. Okay, so nothing big with winds? Uh, we will see some uh, gusts with this, but nothing uh, too exceptional. We are expecting uh, some strong southeasterly, so parts of the west coast and the southwest coast are going to see some good gusts there, probably some uh, really enhanced winds in the rec coast area and those areas that are prone to get that but uh, generally going to be staying below warning criteria for most of the island. Yeah, par for the course in that area. And temperatures generally in the norm, hey, uh, zero, minus three to plus three, that kind of range? N not seeing too much of a, of a wide range there, but certainly uh, near zero and uh, right at that freezing mark for a lot of areas with that freezing rain on Sunday. That is um, Environment Canada, uh, Environment and Climate Change Canada, meteorologist Ian Hubbard. It's a little update on the weather. And now for an update from the streets of St. John's, the um, lovely and talented Linda Swain is on scene. Linda, where are you and what are you looking at? Well, I'm right here at the corner of uh, Calver and Malta Street in the uh, center city area of St. John's. We have a two-story building, a home, uh, it looks like it's got two units in it. At least it has two, um, you know, electrical um, um, 
services uh, connected to it, um, uh, which has, it, for all intents and purposes, it looks like it's gutted the windows, uh, broken out in some areas, and uh, smoke uh, still emanating from the windows, albeit uh, a smoldering type of smoke. Uh, quite a large uh, firefighter presence here, as you can appreciate and as you can probably hear. Um, an ambulance is on scene. No word on injuries at this time, but it appears as though people who uh, either uh, live in the building or are connected to the building in some way are at the scene here. I see a dog also in a uh, RNC vehicle, which may ha- have been inside this building at some point. I don't don't know. I can only surmise from what I'm looking at right now but for all intents and purposes the portion of calver avenue uh towards malta street and a portion of malta street right now closed to traffic because of the number of first responders at the scene um the uh the active flame which uh greeted firefighters when they arrived on the scene appears to be dampened down at this stage it looks more like a smoldering fire at this stage but as you know and i know we've covered many of these things over the years um, the smoldering fires can uh, flare up at any time. So uh, firefighters still looking to get at the seat of this particular fire. No word on the cause at this stage. We'll keep you up to date on that. Linda Swain, VOCM, Local News Now. And that is Linda right from the scene. Uh, I didn't have a question because she answered them all before I could. Every There's an experienced journalist for you, how to, how to report from a fire scene. Claudette, let's uh, take that overdue break, and we'll be right back on News Talk. Stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you. News Talk on your VOCM. Welcome back to the program. Well, the dust has settled on another Salvation Army's Christmas kettle campaign. And VOCM's Gerilyn Mackey spoke earlier today with Major Jamie Locke, who is the Divisional Secretary for Public Relations in the Atlantic Division, to run down the services provided and for the final tally from the kettle campaign. You know, the housing crisis continues to dominate a lot of discussion around the country and, of course, in Newfoundland and Labrador. What are you seeing with the Salvation Army homelessness services uh, and, and the shelter services that you operate as well? Indeed, right across the country, we are seeing uh, significant challenges in the realm of of housing. Uh, these uh, situations often as well touch on um, addictions and mental health services. Um, I'm pleased to share that the Salvation Army here in Newfoundland and Labrador uh, is doing everything that, uh, that, that we can to provide uh, support in partnership, of course, with other social service providers and as well as, of course, the uh, provincial government and, and the uh, and NL Health. Uh, it's important for us to, uh, to do our part and to use the, the resources that we have. That includes, you know, facilities that the Salvation Army operates uh, throughout the province and specifically here in uh, St. John's as well as uh, funds that have been donated to us uh, and support that we receive from uh, corporate sponsors, donors of the Salvation Army, as well as uh, government entities that support the work that we do. And uh, and so we have the Chesapeake Centre of Hope that is operating and quite active here in the city, and the Wiseman Centre. Both places, both facilities, uh, Jerry Lynn, are operating at capacity. And that was my next question. You basically read my mind, Major Locke. What are you seeing in terms of demand for services, and are you able to meet the demand? 
I mean, it's it's important for us to share uh, some of the inner workings of the Salvation Army and what we do here in the community. Um, at the Chesapeake Center of Hope, we have 20 supportive housing units. Uh, these units are all full uh, as of today. And um, <clears throat> their ser- uh, services are provided to people who have been struggling uh, to secure uh, permanent housing and perhaps need uh, additional supports to make that uh, continue to work. Some people stay with us for uh, for long durations, long periods of time, uh, where we become, uh, you know, that that safe place, that housing environment, um, and then others were able to help move uh, into, uh, you know, we'll call it the regular market outside of uh, of our facility with support uh, with a support network built around them. You know, a place where you can touch back to. That's what the Salvation Army is here for, um, to to support the community, to support individuals who are struggling with uh, maybe some of the basic necessities of life. And so while those services do include things uh, such as food bank, uh, other forms of practical support, uh, we're also there to to be uh, a listening ear, to be a mediator when when needed uh, and when helpful. Uh, and so each individual um, case, of course, is uh, is as unique as we are all as individuals. And uh, our staff are, are trained and equipped uh, to work with people uh, where they are and help them secure and uh, retain uh, permanent housing. How important is it to have, you know, along with the shelter availability, to have those practical wraparound supports in place as well? It's absolutely critical. I mean, even when we think about ourselves as individuals, I mean, no matter who you are, without a network around you, you, you can feel alone and isolated. And um, and that's that's not a good feeling. Uh, the Salvation Army exists to give people hope, uh, to be a supportive uh, network uh, for anybody that uh, they could use our our services. Uh, one of the one of the uh, big successes that we've seen in uh, recent days would be the addition of a an uh, addictions and mental health counselor who provides support to our clients, our friends, our guests. Uh, that stay with us at the Chesapeake Center of Hope and as well as the Wiseman Center uh, where we operate an additional um, 21 shelter beds or emergency shelter beds and 10 supportive housing units for both uh, men and women. And uh, this this particular role that's been onboarded of addiction to mental health uh, counselor has been able to uh, really help people go uh, deeper with their own uh, individualized recovery uh, ambitions and, and plans. And sometimes, uh, from what I understand in the conversations that I've had with our, with our staff, it's as simple as uh, somebody having the time uh, to sit down and, and navigate you know, systems, uh, navigate resources that are out there in the community, maybe uh, do some referral, referral work, uh, based on uh, you know the good work that's happened uh, there at the Center of Hope and at the Wiseman Center, so that we can help people make those next steps uh, in their recovery journey. We operate from the principle of of um, and it's a term that you still hear tossed about, but we operate from a principle of housing first. We believe that people need to be housed in order to um, then make you know decisions appropriately uh, for their future. And uh, our staff are working diligently to do that. We have this added benefit of being able to provide housing 
uh, for some people, like uh, as I say, with the uh, the transitional housing beds that we offer, and as well as the emergency shelter beds. Um, but the reality is, I mean, there there are so many people that are still out there struggling to find uh, an environment that is uh, safe um, and secure and comfortable uh, to live. Major, in the past, I've had conversations with representatives at the St. John's Status of Women's Council about their delivery of the managed alcohol program, which is for women, you know, as they oversee it. As you see it, do you feel there's a need for this kind of programming in the city for men? Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and again, it takes all uh, community service providers, social service providers in in the uh, in the province to come together, working with government, identifying gaps, and then each uh, each organization tends to find their place and their fit within in within the realm. Um, you know, as I mentioned earlier about the the addition of an addictions and uh, mental health. Uh, counselor at the Chesapeake Center of Hope and the Wiseman Center here at the Salvation Army. We've seen that this particular job, this particular role, is absolutely critical. Now we've we've, we've secured funding for that position for one year, and we're quite grateful uh, for that. Working with uh, uh, the Newfoundland and Labrador Health Authority. And that is the Salvation Army's Christmas, um, or, well, speaking about the Christmas kettle campaign, that's Major Jamie Locke, of course, speaking with Jerry, VOCM's Jerry Lynn Mackey. And my thanks to Jerry Lynn for the interview. We didn't, uh, the big unveil, um, we had Linda on there go live uh, from the fire situation, which has calmed down on Calvary Avenue. Didn't get a chance to tell you that $1.2 million raised by the Salvation Army's kettle campaign in the province over this past Christmas season. Every little bit helps, especially that tap system that they have now that was uh, that's been a game changer for them that's it for news talk for this uh, friday and for this week i'm brian callahan drive safely arrive alive vocm cares